I was doing a little exercise the other day. I don't know if you've ever done any exercise. Maybe you've tried walking or, or weightlifting or something where you wanted to reach a certain goal before you stopped. And, you know, it doesn't have to be right now. It could be any time in your life that you practice that. Maybe you wanted to get stronger. You wanted to walk, far, you know, go one more mile to be able to reach the end of that, that goal or, or lift one more pound as you're trying to get stronger. Or maybe you've worked to try to lose weight in the past or, or you've wanted to go faster or jump higher or something like that. Or maybe you've been injured before or you had some sort of surgery where you had to go through physical therapy in order to regain strength that you used to have. If you've ever worked at reaching a physical goal like that, then you know what it's like to push your body through pain sometimes. And you know what it's like to feel when you're out of breath or, and fatigued or, and you, you feel that lactic acid buildup you know, when your muscles start to burn. You feel that in, in, when, and when you push on weights and you feel your muscles tear because that's actually what they do. When you're working out and you're lifting weights, on a microscopic level, your muscles actually are being torn, but when they grow back, they multiply, so they grow back stronger. So your muscle produces more muscle mass. That's what happens when weightlifters lift weights and their muscles grow. And, you, and so you tear down your muscles and that lactic acid builds up and you feel pain in order to get stronger. So I was working out and I was thinking about the philosophy behind exercise. Why do people exercise when it hurts? Why do we push ourselves when it hurts? When, why do we keep going when we feel like we just can't go anymore? But there's that goal out there and I haven't reached it yet and I want to keep going because I want to get to that goal. And even more interesting is when people have practiced this for a while, when you get into a routine of exercise of just about any sort, people look forward to that pain. They look forward to exercising. There are, I don't do this, but there are people who look forward to going out and running 10 miles. They, and they anticipate it. They're, they get up and they go out there. They look forward to working, you know, going to the gym and working out on whatever machines or lifting weights or whatever. There are people who they seem like gluttons for pain because they're, they want to go and do that stuff that hurts them. So why do people do that? Why do people seem to enjoy that burn that they get in their muscles when they're working out? Well, the simple answer is, and I've heard, I'm sure you've all heard this before, no pain, no gain. Exactly. We work out for improved health, for strength, for, for to be able to play better at sports or to win competitions. A lot of people push themselves to be able to take home a prize. And sometimes we exercise just to be able to return to the activities that we used to be able to do, you know, before you were injured or had a surgery or whatever, that we work out. So just so that we can maintain the life that we enjoy living. And, and there is a payoff for the sacrifice. There's a reward for the pain that we go through. We are willing to sacrifice our time and suffer some pain in order to gain. Sometimes it's strength or more ability or what have you. Or, or that prize that you want to win that gold medal. People push themselves so hard to, to get that prize that they're looking for. And so you, set, you, you get to the point where you have to really push to reach your goal. You know, when you first start, and it's you know, pretty easy. If you walk 10 feet, everybody can do that. 
Well, unless you're injured. Sometimes walking 10 feet can be a challenge. But there's that, you get started and there's that point that you reach where it just starts to get really hard. It starts to get painful. You don't feel like doing it because it hurts. Because you're out of breath. Because you're low on energy. But you know if you keep going, it will make you stronger. If you push through that pain, it will benefit you. And, and so we repeat this same pattern, not just in exercise and in physical sort of improvements, but in other areas of our life. It's kind of like this tune that we pick up through the theme song of our lives that we spend countless hours of our lives doing things that we don't really want to do sometimes. You know, when you would rather be home with your family... There's a lot of times when you're at work, when we would rather be on a cruise or relaxing on a beach or sitting in a lakeside cabin, you know, somewhere where you where your vacation ideal is, where you would rather be there, instead you're mowing the lawn or shoveling snow or fixing the car or you know something like that that you would really rather not be doing if you didn't have to. We when we would rather be taking a nap. You know, many of us have, you know, we're potty training a, a toddler or, or driving kids to practice or taking care of a sick loved one. You know, things that you could do, things that you would rather do, watch a TV show, and instead you're cleaning up messes. So there, that we spend so much of our lives working just to provide food and shelter and clothing for our families. I mean, how many hours of your life has been working on a task that you would, you know, if you had the choice, you'd be doing something else. But you wanted the benefit of that work. You wanted what that work would pay you in order to help yourself or to help your family. We sacrifice blood, sweat, and tears to main, just to maintain life. Just to keep going and keep living and keep eating and keep having a home to sleep in and a bed to, to lie on and, and to keep the lights on, to provide opportunities for the people that we care about, you know, to, to make sure your kids can eat and go to school and that kind of stuff, to try to live a little bit longer on this earth. And how many hours have people put into exercise and, and not eating what they wanted to eat and eating what they didn't want to eat so that their body could live a little bit longer on this earth? Isn't that funny? Isn't that interesting that we do that? How much have we sacrificed in order to eat or to have money to pay the, the gas bill. You know, that kind of stuff. How much have we sacrificed in order to live a little bit longer? Do you know what that kind of behavior sounds like? And I'm not thinking psychotic. Um, I think it sounds kind of religious. And it, put into simple terms, religion is, is a practice based on what you believe in. Your religion is what you do because of what you believe. And so... If you truly believe in something, then you're going to live your life in accordance with those beliefs. So even though things like exercise and work and taking care of the kids are not things that we really think of as religious, they are things that people do religiously where they put to practice those things because they believe in the payoff. You, You discipline your children because you believe in the payoff of them becoming good adults who are, you know, have good character and are disciplined, self-disciplined and that kind of stuff. You, you go to work because you believe in the payoff of getting a paycheck so that you can pay your bills and buy the stuff that you want to buy. And so people practice these things without fail. We, you know, some people exercise every day 
because they want the benefit of having more energy and more strength and, and capability. So we, it, we do this religious kind of activity, this regular committed activity, because we believe in what it will result in. To reach a goal, to earn a reward of, or a benefit uh, in some way through that dedication and that sacrifice. It sounds kind of religious, doesn't it? So, and, and if you think about it that way, then everybody is religious in some way or another. Not religion, you know, like Christianity or Mohammedism or whatever else that, you know, there's lots of things that people call religion. But everybody is religious in the way that they live according to what they believe in. Whatever it is they believe in, they live according to those sets of beliefs. And if you, you know, everybody practices their life according to what they think, what they trust in. Even if they don't have any religious beliefs, they still act out on what they believe in. Even if what they believe in is totally false. You can have a false belief and live according to that false belief. It's kind of a waste of life, but you can still do it. Um, If you're living your life according to false beliefs, then you still work, you still do things, you can still do things religiously, but all that work and sacrifice just turns out to be a huge waste of time and energy. Think about exercise. A lot of people exercise. And if you exercised, imagine you put an hour every day at least into exercising and then you have a heart attack in your 20s. You'd feel a little cheated, wouldn't you? And it's happened to some people. You know, not Most often exercise is a good payoff, but sometimes a genetic defect just takes you. And, and, and you know, imagine there's a lot of people who pray to Allah five times a day and then they blow themselves up expecting to find 70 virgins and end up finding... Uh, an eternity of weeping and gnashing of teeth, they understand deeply what a wasted life is. And, and a lot of people do that kind of thing. But if you, if you believe in the truth, then your religion and your, what you live out according to those beliefs, and all that time and energy will result in eternal rewards. I mean, all of our practices, are we're always doing it for something. There's always some purpose behind the things that we do, whether it's exercise or work or what have you. Our religious practices, according to what we believe, are in order to gain. We want to gain eternal life. I mean, obviously your religion doesn't get you eternal life. Faith in the Savior is what gets you eternal life. But we live according to what we believe. Um, and 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 we get those rewards, and it's not because we actually earned anything. You know, the, when when the Bible talks about getting our faith, it's it's a gift of grace. So you don't earn anything because you go to church, because you pay a tithe, because you uh, help old ladies across the street, because you volunteer your time at the Rockford Rescue Mission, because you pass out Bible tracts or share your faith with people. You don't earn your way in, into eternal rewards, but because you have aligned yourself with the truth, you become kind of like a sailboat that aligns itself with the wind. You know, a sailboat aligns its sails in order to catch the wind so that it can get to where it's going. And when we practice our religion, we've aligned our sails with God and it's the Holy Spirit that drives us where we're going, where we're looking to go. We want to wind up in heaven. We want to have that eternal relationship with Jesus. We want to live for the Lord and live in connection with the Lord and wind up in heaven someday. And so we put out our sails because we want to go where God's taken us. 
I mean, that's the way it's supposed to work at least. And so how do you know what is worth investing your life in? How do you know what is worth pressing on for and suffering for and giving your life as a, as a living sacrifice for? Or even sometimes giving your life as a sacrifice for? How do you know? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, at verse 23, this is Paul. And he says, I do everything to spread the news, the good news and to share in its blessings. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. A friend of mine recently asked about what faith is. You know, it's kind of an intangible thing. And, you know, and how can you lose something that's intangible like that? You know, it's not a solid thing. It's something that you think or you believe. So how do you lose faith if it's not real and i said well it depends on how you define faith because these days there's a lot of people who think that faith is just religious practices that that your faith is what you do so when you give money or or kind to people or or you come to church or you you know pray that that is your faith so if they go to church and or they you know pray to suffer before you eat supper or, or give money to charities and things like that that you consider part of your religion then, and they say that they have faith, that that's my faith because I do those things, then your faith is nothing more than religious traditions, you know, practices. That, and it would be relatively easy to lose that because you're just doing the practices. You think it's, you know, it's nice to help people, but what's behind that? If there's nothing behind that, then losing the practice because there's really nothing behind it wouldn't be that big of a deal. As helpful and as comfortable and as you know as good as some of those traditions can be, there's still just something you choose to do, like jogging or or like reading or collecting comic books. You know, you choose to do something because you like to do it. And if there's nothing really behind it other than personal preference, then it's it's easy to lose. And you start to think about what life is all about and the deeper meaning behind your existence and your purpose and and things like that, then empty traditions that don't have anything behind them other than personal preference tend to lose their luster. And a lot of people have done that. They've grown up in a practice of a religion because their parents did it and their grandparents did it. And so they grew up practicing the religion, but there's nothing ever behind it. So when they got older and they were challenged with, well, what's my life really all about? What's behind all these practices? And they realize there is nothing behind all these practices. They're just practices. It's easy to ditch those practices because there's, there's no reason to hold on to them. There's no, there's no faith behind that. That there's you know behind the religion. There's no belief behind the religion. And so, um, on the other hand, if some of us call our relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what we call our faith, because God is spirit, and you can't technically see God with your eyes or or you know touch him with your hands and things like that. So we call it faith because. It's, it's believing in something that you can't measure with a ruler. You know, you can't, it's not, you can't measure God with the scientific process. It's, you know, he's outside of the realm of, of, you know, taste, touch, sight, smell, that kind of stuff. He, he interacts with us mostly in spirit, spiritual ways. And so 
we call it faith. And because, but there are plenty of things like that. There are plenty of things that we believe in that we can't see or smell or taste or touch or hear. It, you know, like love. Everybody believes in love. We feel love. Hate. We understand what hate is. Fear of spiders. You, there is real fear of spiders that some of you have. You, you, you believe in that, but you can't measure it. You can't taste it. You can't touch it or see it. You just know it's there. You know when you love someone. You know when you hate somebody. So there are things that we believe in that, that are not empirically measurable. But that doesn't mean that those things aren't real. And so you know that, you know, that's why you know when you have a relationship with God that people who really love God who truly have a relationship, that relationship is every bit as real and as intimate as as loving a spouse, as loving somebody in your family. You can't measure it in a lab, but you can see the evidence that that relationship produces. And, and, And it affects your life. I've seen miracles. I've experienced miracles. And but I I could never reproduce them in the lab because they're miracles. They're outside the realm of the way things normally happen. But I know that they really happened because I'm not a moron. I, I understand when things are real. I, I can tell the difference. God has impacted my life in ways that are as real as the car I drive. You know, I get in the car and I turn the key and I trust that it's a real thing, that there is real metal and, and plastic and motors and gasoline that's making this work. I trust in it to take me down the highway at 60 miles an hour. So I, and I, I have no more problem trusting in God than I do trusting that my car is not just going to disappear underneath me and I'm going to roll down the highway without anything. I believe my car is there in the same way that I believe in God. My faith is just as strong in that even though I can't necessarily touch God because of what He's done in me, because of the relationship that we have. So it's my relationship with God is the proof you know, what He's done in me is the proof of who He is and, and, and that's what I call faith. It's not re- So my practices comes out of what I believe in. It's not just that I've practiced something out of tradition. My, what I do in my life comes because of what I believe in. And, and if you truly know God because His Spirit lives in you and He touches everything that you do in your life every single day, then losing your faith would be as extreme as losing your family, as losing your limbs. I mean, how could I lose my faith? How could I give that up? It sounds ridiculous because it's just as real as everything else in my life. You know, so it could be that you know only people that, that don't have real faith, people who practice a religion, but they don't really believe, only people who don't have that they 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 think that life is chemical reactions. You know, your your whole experience is just your brain doing things and making you believe in things that aren't really there. You know, a lot of people say that. A lot of people say that that God is just a figment of our imagination that we made up because we needed a crutch to rely on. And the only people that really say that are ones who don't have a relationship with God. And and your mind, you know, if your mind was just random compilations of evolution you know you just over time chemicals came together and electricity came together and it made you who you are and that's all there is there is no you besides the chemical electrochemical reactions going on inside this matter and beyond that there is no you once you die you disappear completely if that was true 
if your mind is nothing more than random things happening over time, then there would be absolutely no reason to trust it. There would be no reason to put faith in what you think as real. And a lot of people think that. You go to a lot of colleges these days and say, what's the truth? And they say, I don't know. How do you know that? I don't know. I mean, that's, that's how a lot of people will answer you, even the people who aren't philosophy majors. They'll say, I, I don't know. You know. If you believe what you believe, that's good for you. If I believe what I believe, that's good for me. Because there is no truth. And, and, so, and that's the way. If your head was really just this chemicals and electricity, then everything you think you know could be completely wrong. And, and everybody else you think you know and everybody think you think you love could just be random chance reactions making you believe that there's a real world. I mean, this whole world could probably not exist. It's just something that you made up in your mind. And all the people and the things that you think are real, you just invented them in your head. For all you know, you could be a slime mold in a bucket in a, in a basement somewhere that thinks that you're a person and thinks that everything you see is real. Uh, you know, you could be in the Matrix. You, you, for all you know, you... you in you're, you could be on Mars. I mean, that's what the, the electrochemical idea of your, you being you is. Of course, in real life, that idea doesn't comport with common sense. And everybody knows it. In real life, nobody with any wisdom would believe that, even though you can't technically prove that you're real. You can't technically prove that all of the world is just an imagination that you made up. You can't. Because if it is, then all the stuff that you might test it with is just your imagination. So you can't prove that you are real. And even though you can't technically prove you're real people in a real world in a real universe, it's the only thing that really makes sense when you stop to think about it. So we put our faith in things that are scientifically unprovable because we think you know things like science are limited. Science can measure what you can taste and touch and see and smell, measure with a ruler or on a scale and, or in a chemical breakdown. You know, Science can do those things, but things that are outside the realm of physics, we can't really experiment on. And so we take them by faith. And that's why science always produces theory. You know, there's the theory of, of these, the theory of gravity. Everybody knows there's gravity, but nobody really Nobody can actually prove the way it works because we don't have the tools to measure it. So we put our faith in the fact that gravity is real. But we all know it's real. And so we, uh, we, we, that's why science produces theory. And we have to put our faith in theories that we can't actually measure or reproduce in a lab. And that means some theories could be wrong and some theories could be right. Gravity is pretty easy because it's there. We can feel it. We can, you, know, you jump up and you fall down again. So... Every, but everybody has some kind of faith. Every person in the world believes in something that they can't technically measure. Some people believe in everything in the universe exploded from nothing. I mean, they believe that, that nothing exploded and it became everything for no reason. And, and you know, that kind of thing never actually happens in real life, so technically it's completely unscientific because you can't put it in a lab. You can't measure it. It's never been reproduced, but people still put faith in the idea because they want to believe in randomness, randomness rather than God. They choose to believe that instead of believing in a God who spoke the universe into being. 
And of course, if we really lived in that kind of universe, if that was true, then everything could disappear just as quickly as it appeared. I mean, if you truly lived in a, in a universe where it could explode and everything could come into being, then it could just as easily unexplode and everything could be gone. I mean, that's what randomness is, is really about. But common sense says that we don't live in a universe that appears for no reason. We, it takes a lot more faith to believe in randomness than it does to believe in God creating the universe. Some people truly believe that life began from non-life at random. And despite the countless people who have actually tried to reproduce that and tried to make that happen in a lab somewhere, abiogenesis, life from non-life, has never happened even once anywhere in the world over all the years, decades, and centuries that we've been trying to make it happen. But people still believe, put, choose to put their faith to believe in that process because they don't like the idea of God telling them how they should live their life. And so they give up on religious faith because it's the easiest way to ignore their conscience. There's a passage from the Bible that that briefly talks about the idea of walking away from the faith, of giving up your faith, of losing your faith, kind of. 1 John chapter 2, at verse 18 says, Children, this is the last hour. And just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have appeared. We know from this that this this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. Because if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us to demonstrate that all of them do not belong to us. Nevertheless, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you all know that I have not written to you that you do not know the truth, but that you do know it, and that, and that is no lie. Oh, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is, a, who is the liar but the person who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the person who denies the Father and the Son. Everyone who denies the Son does not have the Father either. The person who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, what you have heard from the beginning must remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. Now this is the promise that He has made to us. Eternal life. So faith is intangible, technically. It's, you, know, you can't put it in a bucket and, and carry it around. But that doesn't mean it's not real. And that's what, we're, that's what this passage kind of speaks to. That you know, There's the truth, and you, you understand it, and you know it's real. We've experienced it. If you've got Jesus, then you know what the truth is because He's living inside you. He's produced change in you. And there are a lot of people who have walked away from this. Who Maybe they grew up in the church and they walked away from it. And it proves that they, were never really, they never really had Jesus. Because if they did, why would they let go? If they really had a relationship with the Savior... Why would you ever let go of that kind of... I mean, people who have Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. And, and so, what makes faith worth holding on to or not depends on what you put your faith in. Depends on what you choose to believe in. If it's placed in something false, then it probably isn't going to do you much good, especially in the long run. And losing it will be as easy as, as losing a grain of sand on the beach. No big deal. It's just another practice. Just another religious exercise. Just another tradition. So I, I stopped doing that tradition and my life hasn't changed. A lot of people do that. 
But if you put your faith in that which is real because it affects every part of your life, then losing faith would be as difficult as losing your heart. And when, when Jesus Christ lives inside you and transforms you from the inside out and transforms the, the way you think because He's renewed your mind, transforms the way you see the world because He's filled you with His wisdom, and transforms the way you interact with everybody else in the world because He's filled you with His love, and transforms the way you carry out your life and the morals that you live by because He's separated your sins as far as the east from the west and made you a new person and showed you the benefits of living for Him, a living a righteous life, then how do you, how do you lose that? How do you let go of that? It, it just seems ridiculous. And, and, and the real kicker is that faith is always put into practice. Belief always produces religion. No matter what you believe, you live by what you believe. And, and you know, believe in the truth, put your faith in what is real, and your life will produce real fruit. That's what Jesus says. You believe in Me, I'll transform you, and you will see the evidence come out. You will see the evidence come out in how you choose to live your life and what you do. You know, the, the, a, a good well produces good water, and a bad well produces bad water. You, you live out who you are from the inside out. Believe in falsehoods, in, in bad things, in, in immorality, in, in false religions, and your life is wasted on empty practices. If you believe that your practice is what makes you religious, you know, if you don't really have a faith backing up your religious practices, then your life is wasted on empty practices. Good deeds don't get you into heaven. James 2, uh, verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can this kind of faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you do not give them what the body needs, what good is it? So also faith, if it does not have works, is dead, being it by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Well and good. Even the demons believe that and tremble with fear. So the idea is, if you have faith, if you really have faith, it's going to result in how you live. I mean, it's going to come out in, in how you live. It changes who you are. And so the decisions that you make in what you say and what you do are going to be affected by what you believe. And if you aren't doing those, then you probably don't have faith at all. If you aren't living your life according to the way God calls us to live, then it proves that you don't really belong to God. But you can have those practices without believing in God. You can choose to be a, you know, a semi-moral person in society and still have no real connection to Jesus. So, so here's where it all ties together. As I was exercising the other day and thinking about pain and thinking about sacrifice and thinking about religion, which is what you guys think about when you exercise, isn't it? Whatever kinds of stuff that everybody thinks about when they're working out. Well, I was thinking about how much hard, because I was at that point where it was hard. You know, it was hard to keep going. I had that goal to reach, but it was hard. And I was out of breath and I didn't want to keep doing it. And I, but I knew that I could reach it. I said, I can make it. I don't feel like it, but I can make it. So I'm going to push through. And I was thinking, how much harder spiritual discipline is compared to physical discipline? Because I'm, I'm making that mile 
no problem. I mean, yeah, I was out of breath and I was tired, but I knew I could do it. And I thought, spiritual life, spiritual discipline, living for the Lord, even though it's hard, I, I, you know, I know my body can push through the next mile because my body's done it before. I did it before, I can do it again. Even though it burns, I know I can lift that weight because I've, I've done it enough that you know, I can do it at least one more time. And I know that every day that I commit to work, to you know, go into the, the malls, the, you know, I, you, a lot of you know I do work at the different malls, and I know that you know, I don't feel like doing it. I don't feel like spending my day going and putting in all that work. But I know that every day that I do that work, I can benefit from it. And, and every day I work out, I can you know, grow muscle and, and burn fat and, and grow stronger. Yet I know that ultimately, and I know that when I work, when I do my job and I collect a paycheck, I know that it's going to pay off and that I can buy food for my family and pay the bills and, and take care of that stuff. But no matter how strong my body is, no matter how much money I make, my body will die and my property will go to somebody else or wind up in a dump somewhere. And yet, how much more work does it take to live a righteous life? To commit to being holy? How much commitment does it take to live a life of purity and of kindness and of love? I mean, you can get into the practice. It can become a habit, just like exercise can become a habit, where it's so much easier. The more you do it, the easier it gets. And, and, that, and you know when it starts to get a little too easy, you, that's when you've got to push a little farther. How much more can I do? Because I want to get stronger. I want to get better. I want to get smarter. I don't want to just sit here and be comfortable. I want to press myself onto the goal. I want to win that prize. And, and it takes how much commitment does it take to live that kind of a life? When the world comes at you with persecution and hatred, What's the cost of living out your faith? For some people, for a lot of us living in America, it's, you know, it's, it's mild discomfort that we have to put up with. For others, it's their family. It's their friends. It's their freedom. It's, it's their lives in some cases. They have to give those things up in order to live out their faith. I think all the Scriptures that we've gone through today allude to that fact. I think Paul and, and John and James and all those guys and the other, all the apostles, they understood exactly what it meant to be a living sacrifice. And most of them wound up knowing what it meant to be a sacrifice, literally. To press on for the faith, to sacrifice everything in order to reach the goal of, of sharing the Gospel, of, of bringing other people to eternal life through Jesus Christ. I mean, what did they get from it? They knew eternal life was coming, but in, in this life, they knew that pain and suffering was coming. They knew that given what they had to take care of other people wasn't going to benefit them in this world. But they did it anyway because they believed in something beyond themselves. And you know that you can, you can exercise for health. And most of the time it's good for you. And, and that you can gain from pain. If you work your muscles and push yourself, you know that you can get stronger. But are you willing to live a lifetime of sacrifice for faith, for something that, that the ultimate payoff is beyond this world, is outside of the realm of, of our ability to, to, to touch it. Hebrews 12, the, our Scripture for the day, it starts off, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set out for him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. 
it has taken his seat and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of him who endured such opposition against himself by sinners, so that you may not grow weary in your souls and give up. You have not yet resisted to the point of bloodshed, and your struggle against in your struggle against sin. None of us know what it's like to shed our blood for our faith. None of us. We have no idea what the disciples went through, what Jesus Christ went through from, a, you know, from an experiential standpoint. We are truly blessed to live in a nation where we can practice our beliefs, at least for the time being. You know, unless there are some major, major changes in the attitude of our nation, it might not be all that long before real Christianity is outlawed. I mean, it could happen in our lifetimes. You never know. If you follow the news, you can already see how some of our religious rights are being eroded away, especially business owners these days. But yet we press on towards the goal because it doesn't matter what the world does. It doesn't matter who's in power politically. It doesn't matter the, the geopolitical situation of the planet. It doesn't matter what wars are happening. We press on towards the goal of eternal life. We press on to share the Gospel with people who are still dead in their sins. We, we learn from the Lord's discipline. You know, when he says, don't do that anymore. You've got to change your life. We, we learn from that. We grow. We push on. We grow in strength of character through trials and tribulations. Our faith is developed through pain and suffering. And that Jesus showed us that, that giving yourself for something pays off. And verse uh, five, thir- chapter 5, still 13 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation addressed to us as, to you as sons? My son, do not scorn the Lord's discipline or give up when He corrects you. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son He accepts. Endure your suffering as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you do not experience discipline, something all sons have shared in, then you are illegitimate and are not sons. Besides, we have experienced discipline from our earthly fathers and we respected them. Shall we not submit ourselves all the more to the Father of spirits and receive life? For they disciplined us for a little while as seemed good to them, but He does so for our benefit that we may share His holiness. Now all discipline seems painful at the time, not joyful, but later it produces the fruit of peace and righteousness for those trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your listless hands and your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but be healed. That's exercise. I mean, I was talking about physical exercise, but that's spiritual exercise, spiritual discipline. And God wants us to learn to be self-disciplined. I mean, that's the point of, you know, when you're a parent, you train your kids, you discipline them because ultimately you want them to be self-disciplined, to be able to live their own lives and be competent, capable individuals when they're grown up and living on their own. You don't want them to live with you forever and have to tell them what to do forever. You want them out in the world being good people, serving the Lord, doing good things. And that's why we discipline. That's why God disciplines us. He disciplines us to train us so that we can be self-disciplined and self-controlled and produce the fruit of the Spirit and be out there making the world a better place, bringing people into the kingdom and serving God. And so what do you believe in? One way or another, we're all religious. Everyone in the world is religious one way or another. We all live out what we believe in. What do you believe in? What are you working for? What are you, putting your, what are you investing your life in? What are you making sacrifices for? 
What, are you wasting your life or are you gaining something? Are you, are you just gaining the, you know, are you just maintaining or are you gaining eternal life? Is the time that you spend and the sacrifice that you make worth something or is it worth less when all things are added up in the end? James 1.19 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to anger, for human anger doesn't accomplish God's righteousness. So put away all filth and evil excess and humbly accomplish God's righteousness. Or, or I'm sorry, so put away all filth and evil excess and humbly welcome the message implanted within you, which is able to save your souls. But be sure to live out the message and do not merely listen to it and deceive yourselves. For if someone merely listens to the message and does not live it out, he is like someone who gazes at his own face in the mirror. For he gazes at himself and then goes out immediately and forgets what sort of person he was. But the one who peers into the perfect law of liberty and fixes his attention there and does not become as a forgetful listener, but one who lives it out, he will be blessed in what he does. If someone thinks he is religious and yet does not bridle his tongue and so deceives his heart, his religion is futile. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their misfortune and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The real difference between true religion and vain practices is that real religion is not a self-serving practice. I mean, we're working towards the goal of eternal life. I mean, the, but you can't earn it. You, you, you can't pay off your sins with good deeds. You, you can't buy your way into heaven. Real religion is a work of love. And it's not done to, sit, to serve yourself, but to serve the Lord, to benefit His kingdom. And, and when we give of ourselves, when we sacrifice what we have, and, and our time and our effort in order to benefit, we do it in order to benefit others. We do it in, in honor of God and in, in love of God. We get, and we get the side effect of eternal life. I mean, God grants us eternal life and we live out that blessing. We live out that relationship because of what God has done. So when we do our religious practices, it's not because we're going to get something for it. It's because we know the benefit that we've already received and we want other people to benefit from that. We want to share the blessing. And so we sacrifice because the more we sacrifice, the more everybody benefits. I mean, ultimately, we're going to get eternal life if, we, you, know, if you have Jesus Christ in your hearts and you bring one person to the Lord or you bring a million people to the Lord, you still get to go to see the Lord. But people who truly have a relationship with God want to reach out to as many people as possible because of the blessing that He has given us. We want to pour it out on others. We want more and more people to experience. And, and when we give of ourselves to benefit others and honor God, you know, God designed us to live in this universe. And in, he des- well, He designed us and this universe to teach us about Him. Everything in the universe is to teach us about God, to reveal who He is, to reveal His character so that we can learn to be like Him. And, and He offers every one of us the chance to find true life, to find that relationship to, by submitting to His goodwill and living life the way He's called us to live. He gives us that grace. He's made it possible for us to be forgiven of every crime we've ever committed and start over fresh and be transformed from the inside out. He's made that possible for anyone who repents 
and believes to start over and live for God. So what are you religious about? Where is your life committed? Where is your life sacrificed for? What are you spending your time and energy and money and effort for? We're all religious. What's your religion? How does your life show what you believe? Is it just empty practice? Now's the time to, to, to make it worth something. Don't waste your life. Commit yourself to God and see what it will get you. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, so much for sacrificing so much that we might benefit from Your sacrifice. And thank You for teaching us that others might benefit from our sacrifice. That we can share Your love and share Your sacrifice and live out, not just so that we know what pain is like and and so that we can suffer because You suffered, but so that the world can be made a better place so that Your kingdom can grow because everyone benefits who becomes a part of it. Everyone benefits who turns to You in faith. Everyone benefits. God, help us to see the truth of that. Help us to see that no matter what we have in this world, that nothing compares to You. And that we can lose it all and still gain. That we can die and still gain. God, help us to see the truth of who You are and what You want from us. And help us to live out our faith because we love You. In Your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.